Greetings and good day. This is Tabitha and welcome to White Wellness Radio. Today is July 26, 2022, broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness Radio. That song right there was the band Redbone, Come and Get Your Love, way back in 1974. So the title of this week's White Wellness episode is The Sensuous Heart. And I use the word sensuous, which isn't used as much these days. Sensual typically is the word that people use. And that word is typically associated with, I think, something that's more sexy, luscious, lush, seductive, stuff like that, which is all groovy. But sensuous is a whole different thing on top of this. It's also about pleasure, um, something that's sumptuous, luxurious, affective, uh, sensoric, right? Aesthetic, eugenic almost. So it goes a step further than just kind of that lusty, definition of it, which of course would be sensationalized in this kind of Skeksis era of of life, right? So we'll get to that a bit later. But first, like we like to do every week, the word of the week. All right. Actually, you know what? We picked that one already. I shuffled the deck from the wrong side. Let's see. All right, here we go. Fletch, F-L-I-T-C-H, from the old Teutonic Flickjo, F-L-I-K-K-J-O, a side of an animal, now only pork, that had been cured. According to records, a 14th century noblewoman in the Sussex County of Dunmow, England, attempted to encourage marital contentment by offering a prize called a Dunmow Flitch. To any man who would swear that for the past year he had not had a household brawl or wished himself unmarried. The flitch became a symbol of domestic happiness, but according to local records, only eight of these prizes were awarded over the next five centuries. So that's the word of the week, flitch. And I just totally randomly picked this card, which kind of uh, cosmic because we're going to be talking about not just love today, but sexual alchemy and all this groovy stuff that you can do of course solo but you could also do it with with someone else which is going to be you know a different experience obviously mm -hmm. but interesting that they used to give away this side of an animal which is now pork to people who had i guess a marriage with no household brawl or wishing themselves unmarried and only eight prizes in the next five centuries so anyway that's the word flitch so before I get to kind of more of the main topic of the show, and let's see who we have here joining us so far. We've got 6-4 Arian, we've got Epiphany, and we've got two other individuals with interesting names that are all just kind of uh, consonants and very few uh, vowels. But welcome to you as well for joining us for the broadcast. So before I get to kind of the more meat of the broadcast, I had a couple of things I just wanted to go over that I kind of found whilst I was perusing. This story actually was... Um, sent to me by Molly. So thank you, Molly, for sending this. And this is quite possibly one of the most mind-zoggling things I've ever heard. And I know I've said that about so many things in the past, and I guess it was true at the time that that was the most mind-zoggling thing. But now the zoggery has reached a really new level, like the threshold has just been broken to a new level of just total, absolute zog insanity. So here's the story. Gender activists push to bar anthropologists from identifying human remains as male or female. 
Now, of course, anyone with either a little bit of knowledge of archaeology or anthropology knows that you can sex a human by looking at the pelvis. The female pelvis is much wider to accommodate for childbirth, and the male pelvis is much more narrow, even the way the actual pelvis bones kind of flare out on a woman. That's why we have hips. And with men, it's kind of more tucked in. It's very obvious to see, regardless of someone's body type, um, their race, their you know anything, age, you can tell a male female or male skeleton from a female skeleton and vice versa. It's very easy. I could even possibly tell um, different races depending on, you know, many of things. So there's many ways at looking at bones that you can discern a lot of stuff. Like with a black skeleton, you'd actually see a more narrow pelvis, a shorter leg, a longer arm, and more of a barrel-like torso. And of course, these skulls are the most, I think, most notable way to discern one's race. You can tell very easily by looking at a skull someone's race, just like you can tell the sex, especially from the pelvis. And of course, there are other sexual markers as well. Men, of course, have a brow bone. They have um, a jaw that kind of squares off to the side. They have typically larger eyes, higher cheekbones, bigger noses, bigger chins, just bigger overall. So this is just scientific fact. Anyone who's, I guess, normal and not soulless is able to discern race and sex from a skeleton. And of course, you know, over the last, I don't know, 100 years, maybe even the last 50 years, especially the last 20 years, hardcore, they've been promoting that race as a social construct. We've known this for a long time. Of course, it's a hollow hoax. Race is biological. It's not just determined on skin. So they've been doing this in the anthropology world for a long, long time. So now they're taking it even further and they're really reaching the bar with total peak zoggery and now telling us essentially that sex is a social construct, right? Construct, because we now have this spectrum of sex, right? And it's a social construct because if I decide to wear a prosthetic mustache, I have the right apparently to be referred to as a he in society. And if someone calls me a she, I can sue them and all this crazy stuff happens. We're living in a post-truth world. That's the only way that people could possibly ever agree with any of this stuff. I saw this crazy meme today. It was from that fellow Jim Bob that does those kind of simple memes with cartoons uh, or like, you know, cartoon people. And this one is a child telling, a female child, a girl, telling her parents, I really like sports in the color blue. And of course, that's cool. A lot of girls do. And the parents say at the same time, let's schedule the surgery. And I wrote, only the soulless would have this reaction. So we live in such a post-truth era that even though this story is so mind-seeing, it's still somehow people are fighting it. So here is the story. Argue scientists, um, so gender activists push to bar anthropologists from identifying human variants as male or female. Argue, they argue scientists cannot know how an ancient individual identified themselves. So now it's all about, in the post-truth world, it's all about identity. It's no longer about what is, it's about identity. As soon as ancient humans' remains are excavated, archaeologists begin the work of determining a number of traits about the individual's age, race, and they're saying gender, but I'll use the proper word, sex. But a new school of thought within archaeology, parentheses, is pushing scientists to think about assigning, quote, gender to ancient human remains. Could you imagine what type of 
what type of like push this is getting and who in the archaeology department is actually doing this. I mean, I think we know who. It is possible to determine whether a skeleton is from a biological male or female using objective observations based on size and shape of bones. It's common sense. I think if this was something in school that we had learned probably in the second grade, it would have been graspable. Criminal forensic detectives, for example, do it frequently in their line of work. So imagine how this is going to muddy up all these different fields of, of commerce and work and business and society. Just think of the horror that's going on now in the world with men who think that they are women, you know, transsexuals, probably autogynophiles who have a uh, fetish to want to be women who are typically brutal misogynists. They're now being housed in the same prison as, quote, female with women and women are being raped. So this is going to enter a whole new thing, you know, with, with, you know, saying, oh, we can't determine who it is. This is going to be, wow, this is just, this is the beginning of a lot of zoggery. But gender activists argue scientists cannot know an ancient individual, how an ancient individual identified themselves. You might know the argument that archaeologists who find your bones one day will assign you the same gender you had at birth. So regardless of whether you transition, you can't escape your assigned sex, tweeted um, some, some Canadian person. I don't even know who this is. But, I mean, that's the hard truth of the reality. Whatever you identify yourself as, whether it's online or in person, it doesn't negate that at the end of the day, there are many things about yourself that you just can't change. So this person's calling it out as BS on Twitter. Labeling remains, quote, male or female is rarely the end goal of any excavation anyway. This person begins to write. I don't even know if this is like a guy or a girl. I have no idea. Anyway, the bioarchaeology of an individual is what we aim for, factoring in absolutely every move and discover about a person into a nuanced and open-ended biography of their life. So essentially not telling the truth, right? This is, this is like, this is like Talmudic archaeology right there, just filling in the gaps with word salad. That's what this sounds like to me. She, they're saying she is not, this is probably a guy, so I'll just say he. He is not alone. Gender activists have formed a group called the Trans-Doe Task Force to, ex quote, explore the ways in which the current standards in forensic human identification do a disservice to people who do not clearly fit the gender binary. Regardless of whether someone's outward fashion or style fits the, quote, gender binary, meaning it's a very masculine-looking look for a guy or a feminine-looking look for a woman, that has nothing to do with someone's pelvis. So that's, that's irrelevant. We propose a gender-expansive approach to human identification by combing, missing, and unidentified databases looking for contextual clues such as decedents wearing clothing culturally coded to a gender other than the assigned sex. So if someone was to have a picture found of them before they, after they died and the picture showed them wearing a skirt and heels, even though it was a guy, the person's now going to be assigned as a woman. So basically whatever you wore in your pictures, essentially, you know, basically how you express yourself, which is, you know, your clothing come off and we all know what everyone looks like. This is how you're going to be remembered. So this is kind of a very transhumanistic thing. It's almost like how a lot of people 
especially the youth, have kind of become a version of their avatar online, right? Where they've done these crazy, wild and wacky things like with surgery and all these, quote, challenges just to basically become this person who only exists online. It's, it's, it's We're really seeping into this, you know, we're in this very liminal kind of wet space between total Talmudo post-truth and just still some sense of sanity. I just want nothing to do with this Talmudicism. It's, ooh, it's so, it's like an ooze almost, right? This, uh, these insane individuals keep on writing. We maintain our own database of missing and unidentified people who have been determined they may be transsexual or quote gender variant. And most current database systems do not permit comparison of missing to identified across different binary sex category, the group writes. So they're saying this has already been done in the past. So this is all, all a bunch of oh, crap. And you're going to get a load of this too. So here's some transsexual, I think it's a guy. Um, this is someone from a professor at some university in Kansas is saying, there are no neat divisions between physically or genetically, quote, male or female individuals. We know this to be a hoax. And the reason that more and more people are believing this, and I've made this point before on other shows, but I'll make it again. We're seeing so many people who, it's not just about this whole transsexual thing. We're seeing people who have been so altered by so many of the Zio agendas. Like we see men with gynecomastia. We see men with bellies that almost look like they're nine months pregnant. Like we see women growing mustaches. We see all these people who are having these reactions based on you know, whatever biological programs are going on, you know, inside the body, all the toxins, all the trauma, all the stuff we already know. So we're seeing kind of like this weird kind of sexual uh, muddying, I guess, essentially with the sexes because everyone is degenerating at this rapid pace. So of course here they come in and they swoop in and they have a dysgenic thing to say, saying that, oh, you really can't tell. There's like no neat divisions between physically or genetically quote male or female individuals. So this is just a further way to gaslight people. And this person, I don't know if this is an Oive or not, suggests that scientists cannot know the gender of a 9,000-year-old biologically female Peruvian hunter because they didn't know whether the hunter identified as male or female. A, quote, duality concept that, guess who was it? Guess who was um, responsible for it? She, or he, says was, a, quote, imposed by Christian colonizers. So basically the whole non-white world they were all trannies before Christian colonizers, which of course we know means white European Aryan people came to those lands. Of course, they probably are not mentioning here that the first uh, racial inhabitants of South America were, were Aryan. I guess I don't know about the whole Salutrian thing and, you know, the white gods and Quetzalcoatl of South America, but of course they want to blame whites, right? The only whites who are allowed to kind of in this, you know, a broad societal sense have any type of uh, clout with this LGBTP triple parentheses plus craziness are the ones that actually sacrifice themselves and become trannies. And keep in mind that these celebrities who are trannies, they don't mutilate their genitals. Uh, that's for like, you know, the minion trannies. So of course, um, there's no such thing as male or female. And the idea that male or female exists, it's because of whites, AKA Christian colonizers. They go on to say that 
Recent explosion in the number of people identifying as transsexual suggests that the trend is social and not biological, so retroactively desexing obscures this obvious fact. I mean, it's it's definitely, I think, an internet phenomenon, if if anything, besides all the stuff, you know, with all the the altercations that are happening to people's bodies and how it's how it's affecting them in a multitude of ways. I'm not going to read the rest of this article because it's just a bunch of um, Zio sludge twaddling, but I think you get the idea that this is just another indication of living in a post-truth world. Crazy stuff. Six for Arian is saying, what a joke. Yeah, absolutely. Epiphany is saying, why are the one to three percent of the population being being generous, being listened to? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's almost like the transsexual population is like the same amount, so they say, of the oives, right? It's like this small little like rootless click, like why are they controlling everything? That's because this entire transsexual agenda is being pushed by the Skeksis. That's why. Epiphany is saying, do they have a Y chromosome? Male, period. Yeah, that's that's the way it goes. I mean, that's the way it's gone for a while. This is this system has worked really well for a while, as long as we've had it. Um, but, you know, this this is what they want to do. They want to push for this. And it's just to eradicate anything that's, like, normal and natural. I mean, the two most normal, natural things are probably the idea that sex is dimorphic and that men and women are different, not just physically, but, you know, so many different ways are also different in their biological uh, functions. They're different in their brains. And also that race is a thing. Like, so they're really getting at the root and if someone really can't tell the difference between sex being dimorphic and and race being a real thing like that's someone who's who's really really lost i mean yikes that's an intense amount of just being you know just having being stuck in the zog fog essentially crazy stuff um and the more you look into this transsexual stuff i really don't even look into this stuff anymore i was for a while but it's so it's so gross and so just ugh, like it's just they actually banned a book that was on I think for a second it was on Amazon Primate and then this book actually pointed the finger at the Skeksis for being responsible for the uh, the transsexual whole thing and they took the book off there's actually a, a story I put yesterday on my telegram it said the transgender industrial complex that's the name of the book it's a racist, it's racist and anti-Semitic nonsense. So of course we know that that means it's the truth, right? And this is what the book said that the article uh, didn't like. Not only is the narrative it claims historically revisionistic and entirely false, it is deeply dangerous to trans and Jewish people. There is no historical basis for the sweeping claims it makes about a global Jewish cabal using gender to destroy white Christian European society. Well, we know that it's happening and it's just one thing that makes me more kind of want to do these shows that are very, you know, rooted in, in real stuff, like talking about sensuous things, talking about, you know, sex magic and eating healthy food and all of that, because this, this transsexual stuff is affecting, I think, all parts of society, not just, you know, with all the mutilation and stuff like that. And one more thing I just wanted to mention before moving on to some more uh, appetizing and sensual material. I just had this article and then I found something yesterday 
just because I was looking through my list and I had had this book on my list and I'm thinking, why do I even have this book on my list? I'm like, I'm not actually going to read it. I'm like, I know, I know this stuff anyway. And it's just so, it's so gross. It's so just, uh, wow. It's just, I wonder what the grandparents and the great grandparents would think of all this transsexual stuff. They probably wouldn't get it at all. They would probably just think it was a horror. And I mean, now no one's got the balls really to say anything about it. It's crazy. But just this one thing that I saw, because I typed this book into Google yesterday to still see that it's banned on Amazon Primate. You get one of those 404 pages with the dog. But this book makes a couple of different points about what this whole transsexual thing is. And of course, that's fueling that anthropology thing. I mean, the amount of infiltration that anthropology and now archaeology have taken because of the Skeksis is just, um, it's profound especially when you look into the old anthropological books and you see the sludge that they're trying to promote nowadays. And I just see what's happened with anthropology and, you know, race and all this crazy stuff about race being a social construct and kind of being born at a time when it was like people were still able to, you know, discern race and be, you know, be proud of it and, you know, limit how they wanted to interact with people of other races. I know now that that's exactly their plan with all this transsexualism. Like, Think about how the younger generations think about race. They can't even wrap their heads around some of them, not all, that there would be anything wrong with, you know, dating someone of, a, of an opposite, of a different race, right? They don't, just like with the whole dating someone who's the opposite sex, they don't even see a, an issue with that either. I mean, honestly, I think the race mixing is more of a, a problem than uh, the same sex stuff. When you think about it, our cultures, our white Western cultures, we probably had you know, same sex, things like lesbianism and homosexuality way before we had race mixing, right? But we've gotten to a point, what I'm trying to say is we've gotten to a point in society where the race thing has been so degraded for so long that only people who really understand the truth are called all these vitrolic words. I mean, they're trying to do the same thing with, with sex and this we're living through, I guess I'd say, well, the beginning stages of it being obvious. I mean, this all goes back to a long time. Think about when the NSDAP torched Magnus Hirschfeld's, um, you know, transsexual clinic in, in Germany back in the Weimar days. So this is, I guess we've just, it's really become the pedal to the metal recently. So let me just go through this summary of this book, The Transgender, I say transsexual, industrial complex summary. And I think they make a lot of good points. And I'm making these points because I want to drive home that this essentially is the new race, what they've already done to eradicate the sense of race in most people's minds. They're now doing with binary, um, excuse me, they're doing it with, yeah, with sex, binary sex. Um, so this is a huge thing. And it's also a huge thing because when you think about the other things that are good in this world, like you know, sex and sex magic and all this energy healing stuff, you really need to be able to root into yourself and know your race and your sex to really be aware and conscious of, and spiritual and just ready to go for anything. So this is more of a way just to make people disassociate. Most people are already completely racially disassociated. Now they have to pile on this transsexual stuff to make it even, I think it's even weirder than the race thing, to be honest with you. So here we go. Interestingly enough, there's many people who are against the transsexual thing who cannot see for the life of them the uh, the race thing. So go figure. Probably because they're Extian. But anyway, here is the summary of this book. Modern, quote, transgenderism. That's the author's term. 
began with surgical experimentation on children in the 60s by um, child abusing doctors with its roots and its roots are skexis and date back to the 14th century. Yikes, right? Gender theory grew out of childhood sexual abuse and remains sexual abuse to its core. Of course it is. Uh, if someone can't understand that, I mean, it's, it's just, it's pretty obvious. It's, it's gaslighting too. It's, it's complete disembodiment and disassociation. Rates of anti-trans violence are actually very low, and where violence doesn't exist, it's merely a subset of, you guessed it, black-on-black -black violence. So probably, you know, two men being the shit out of each other, or maybe a man being the shit out of a woman, vice versa, two women, who knows. Which exists because black people are innately more violent and less civilized than white and European people. People who call themselves transgender are mentally, physically ill, requiring the support of medical professions and therapy to feel comfortable with their, quote, true sex. Transgenderism is not a grassroots phenomenon, but an internal conspiracy directed by Oives in Davos, Switzerland, who provide most or all the funds needed to run transgender education campaign and gender-affirming clinics. This cabal, in order to enrich themselves and become more powerful, are bent on destroying white European Christian values and civilization. Quote, transgenderism is one of the assortment of their tools, which include multiculturalism, which is really multiracialism, mixing of the races, miscegenation, and popularization of secular or atheist government. So that is a summary of the book um, by this person who called the book racist and anti-semitic but this is essentially the author's words summarized by this person who thought it was racist and anti-semitic so you can see who's at the helm of of this um whoa no surprise there right epiphany is saying i took physical anthropology as my science in college it was fascinating way before it got woke yeah i um i took some of those classes too actually i'm trying to remember what i took i was um I was mainly focused on animals. I was doing like gorillas and stuff like that. But I was at the cusp where it was just kind of, if I had been born maybe a couple of years later, it probably would have been, you know, totally gone, you know, the crazy way. But at the time that I went, it was still, it was still like at that point where it was, yeah, as you say, incredibly fascinating stuff. I mean, it's, it's richly fascinating compared to this kind of fake you know franz boas anthropology is just it's terrible it's like it's all the history that we ever learned in history class i thought was so boring and then when i learned the real stuff i was like wow super interesting six four arian is saying the difference between the races have never been more apparent given the last two years yeah that should have been a wake-up call maybe a lot of people actually i wonder how many people woke up or like got real or said oh this is it you know the last couple of years and just I think there was a lot of people probably gaining information throughout the years in, um, in the last two years just based on what has happened, right? 6-4 Aaron is saying a lot of people get it now. I have seen that more so as well with people I know. I think it just, things became kind of like they went to a breaking point for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, here we are, right? So that's kind of the, that's kind of the way it went. I think it's a good thing that people were able to wake up to a lot of the things going on. So now I wanted to mention a little bit about something on the health health milieu, and then we'll get to more of the topics regarding the title of the broadcast, the sensuous heart. So I wanted to go over this article 
that is in the Weston A. Price Foundation, the WAPF. And Epiphany is saying, question is, what will be do done about it? Yeah, that is always the question, right? Especially as time progresses. I mean, there's so many things that they're leaking out there into society that's really, I guess the people would say it's accelerationism. Like speaking of an example of accelerationism, I saw something the other day, I think it was, I think it was just on Google. And it said, Swedish scientists says humans should become cannibals to fight climate change because eating human flesh is more sustainable than the meat industry. And then another thing I saw, cannibalism has a time and place. Some recent books, films, and shows suggest the time is now. Can you stomach it? So that's kind of, I would say, along the lines of accelerationism style of articles, right? Oh, it's the time for it. Yeah, time for cannibalism is here. Global warming is so bad, you know? We really want to be good and fight climate change, so eating people is good. And then, of course, last week we talked about that tranny meat that's supposed to taste like humans. So I think they're pushing a lot of this kind of accelerationism style of stuff because this is the type of stuff that even, I think, normal whatever people are going to be like oh you know that's i think most people even the people who are like dysfunctional and, and messed up i think they too are still turned off by the idea of cannibalism i think probably the majority of people are really turned off by it just like the majority of people are really turned off by all the transsexual stuff so yeah crazy crazy stuff so I just want to talk a little bit about um, MSG, actually, something I've talked about before on the show, but just want to talk about it again, because there's a lot of different names that it actually goes by, and you may be thinking that you're avoiding it and then actually getting it inside your system and not knowing it. So I wanted to go over a little bit about it and this story of uh, this study that was on, it was done on Chinese, which I think is actually a good subset to do it on because they're the ones that typically use it in their food. But then again, like they actually will buy little containers of it and like add it to their food. Some people think it's not an issue. The thing is that it is something like glutamine that is naturally occurring in many foods that the Japanese would say have umami, which is essentially means delicious. That's, that's like the flavor, like, you know, hot, sour, salty, sweet, delicious. So when it's inside foods together, almost like when fructose is in a fruit, it's cool. But when it's isolated and it's like, you know, chemically derived, it becomes problematic. Like many things, like the people who live in South America, I think in some of those countries, they chew on the coca leaf, right? What happens when you take the coca leaf and you make it into cocaine? A lot of problems, right? Just like now we're seeing a lot of these um cannabis extracts, right? And a lot of the youngsters are getting completely and totally hooked on those in a really, really crazy way because whenever you take something and you kind of twist it and mimic it from its original form, you deal with uh, side effects and consequences that are very different than when it's in its natural form. That's why all these pharmaceutical juticals that are made from herbs, that's why when you have the herb, it's in your body very differently. And then they come with all these deleterious side effects when you take Dr. Z's white pill. So MSG, monosodium glutamate. Here's a fun fact about it. In the 1950s, Americans consumed, or actually in the year 1950, 
Americans consumed about 1 million pounds of MSG. You might say, well, wow, it's been in the population for a while. But today, 72 years later, that number is 300 million pounds. So we've gone from 1 million pounds to 300 million pounds. That is mind-zoggling. So here is this little piece about it, and it's considered an excitotoxin, which I've mentioned before. And the WAPF is saying this is possibly the root of obesity. I wouldn't say it's the root of obesity because I think that obesity probably has many different reasons why someone would be obese, but this is definitely could be a contributor. There are other reasons like, you know, the polyunsaturated lipids, the all the iron-fortified food, high fructose corn syrup is another reason why a lot of people are obese. So there's, you know, eating cafo meat, um, cafo dairy. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of reasons why someone could become or be obese. But anyway, here is this story on MSG propaganda. In August 2021, the Washington Post published a puff piece on MSG, claiming that we have nothing to fear from the artificial flavoring and that it adds umami, quote, spark to many dishes. And yeah, it does add this thing to dishes, but if you know how to cook, you actually can get that um, same effect in your food. The author... Um, Aaron Hutcherson, marginalized headaches and allergic reactions as minor symptoms and just a few in a few hypersensitive people. In addition to soup and eggs, MSG can be added to salad dressings, bread, tomato sauce, meats, popcorn, and an absolutely filthy martini. It also adds great flavor. It's a great way to add flavor to everything except sweets. It's particularly great with vegetables. And there's actually even this MSG association that promotes its use. So that's obviously really suspect. And I saw something the other day, which made me laugh. And I posted this on the White Wellness Cooking Channel. How MSG got a bad rap. Flawed science, and you guessed it, xenophobia. So that's why, again, it's, it's, you know, it's white Christian colonists who are responsible for this xenophobia against MSG. It's Asian hate, right? That's what it is. He, this article uh, written by Aaron Hutcherson, the one I was just referencing in the Washington Post, the person goes on to say, he made no connection of the real problem with MSG. Weight gain. If you search MSG-induced obesity at PubMed, you'll come up with almost 100 citations. Most of them on animals, not humans. This is because it's hard to get research animals to overeat and become obese, so scientists have to feed them tons of MSG until they put on more weight. Okay, that's pretty, pretty fucked up. But yeah, there's association with MSG, um, weight gain and processed foods, since MSG is literally in all processed foods. And this goes for the natural, organic, keto, paleo, vegan, whatever it's mentioned on the label. Uh, those are also suspect. So what happens when someone consumes small amounts of MSG flavoring all day, day after day? A 2008 study published in the Journal of Obesity provides confirmation that MSG indeed causes weight gain in humans and not because of its inclusion in processed foods. So a study was done at the New University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and it studied 750 Chinese men and women aged 40 to 59 living in three rural Chinese villages. Most of the study subjects prepared their meal at home without commercial processed foods, 
and 82% of them utilize MSG in their cookery. Those participants who used the highest amount of MSG had nearly three times the incident of overweight as those who did not use MSG, even when the researchers accounted for physical activity and caloric intake. What about the argument made the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and quoted by the author's article, say that the glutamate in MSG is chemically indistinguishable from the essential amino acid glutamate present in food proteins? Like, for example, it is in meats, it is in essentially most animal foods. I think that's one of the reasons we find them to taste good. It's also in seaweed, I think, uh, dried dried mushrooms, even concentrated foods like tomato paste. Um, Parmesan cheese is, is a classic example. So they're trying to make us believe that the derived, chemically derived MSG is ind indistinguishable from the actual glutamate present in real foods. So it's actually not true. The glutamic acid found in foods like meat is attached to various peptides and other compounds that release it when required and prevent it from overstimulating the nervous and the endocrine system. The glutamic acid in MSG, in contrast, is, quote, naked, highly reactive and unmitigated by its milieu. So maybe this is one more reason why we see so many people whose nervous systems are just totally and completely fried. And let's combine not just with this, all the natural flavors from aborted um, fetuses. So we really have a... Imagine if someone's eating that all day long, they might believe that a male and female pelvis has, that you can't tell the difference between the two, right? I mean, wow. Mind zoggling. So you don't want to eat MSG, but eating the foods that naturally contain it is, is okay. Of course, those are part of our, our natural diets. So I just wanted to go over a couple of other names that MSG goes by, a couple of kind of uh, crypto names, and I'm going to post this little infographic of the different names that MSG goes by. I'm going to post this on the Patreon, Patreon as this week's um, bonus for the episode of The Sensuous Heart. So it'll be on there for the people who are subscribed. You will get this handy list, and next time you're at the food store or shopping online, you can kind of refer to this and say, okay. So here are some things that always contain MSG. Autolyzed yeast. So if you see yeast, autolyzed yeast, yeast extract, yeast food, calcium caseinate. They say gelatin, but I think that that's not necessarily, they're saying it, I mean, it, it does have some in it, just like all animal foods do, but I'm not sure if it's it's being said the way it's supposed to be said because it's it's not like a chemically derived food, although it is a pretty processed food. I don't believe that it always contains the wrong time. I would say the wrong kind. I would be more likely to believe from the research that I had done before the show that it's more glutamate than glutaminic acid, which is the more highly reactive kind. So anything that says glutaminic acid on the label, hydrolyzed vegetable protein, that's, that's a, a biggie monopotassium glutamate, sodium caseinate, calcium caseinate, textured protein, whey protein. So those contain MSG. And then other things too, like broth could, um, anything that says flavors or flavoring. So flavors, natural flavors, flavoring. I'd probably even say the organic flavors could be MSG. Uh, citric acid could be MSG. 
uh, some soy sauces, depending, not if you get like the naturally aged ones, but the fake soy sauces, like I would probably venture like the Kikoman or something like that, like the ones you just get at the regular store, those probably have MSG. Things like malt flavoring or malt extract, bouillon, that's a huge one for MSG, bouillon, like those little cubes that uh, people use in lieu of making stock. So yeah, there's a lot out there. Soy protein could, soy protein isolate, um, even powdered milk, even something labeled as, quote, seasonings. So there's a lot out there that could be MSG. And the ones that always are would be like anything that has the word yeast in it um, is very much suspect. So it's almost, it's almost where you get to a point where you're like, well, there's nothing to eat anymore in the store. And you have to get like all your food from a farm or just say, you know, fuck it and buy a couple of things that you still want to eat. But yeah, you're, you're best to, you know, not have this in all your foods and just try to, you know, weed out, weed out what you can. And know that when you go outside the house and you eat outside the house, it's probably in all the food outside the house, just like there's probably seed oils and, and glyphosate and, and all of that when you go outside the house. But I think I think most people know that anyway, unless they're going to like a very organic place. So yeah, pretty, pretty yucky to know that there's all these crazy additives in our food. I mean, why, right? Six, four Aaron is saying, if we take away the Zog propaganda machine, all the bullshit will go away. I mean, people still keep on believing all of this type of stuff. That is, that's the problem. Like, I even wonder, like, if all the Skeksis just completely disappeared and vaporized tomorrow, like, we'd still have all these people who believe all these crazy, insane things. It's really the propaganda machine that's, like, keeps on going and going and going. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and it does sound absolutely disgusting. You're right, um, 6-4 area. And welcome to, uh, Niklas. He's saying, good afternoon, room. Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. It's, it's harder and harder to avoid these things, but... If you do make your own food, you will be most likely avoiding these things. If you get from a farm, if there's always there's always ways around it, and you could always do a little better each time, right? And oftentimes now, I've noticed that ingredients are changing in, in things, things are tasting different. So it really just, you know, to maintain a keen eye and know what's going on with your food is always an important thing. So I think we'll take our little break right now. I will play us a song and then come back and we'll start talking about the topics uh, that pertain to the sensuous heart. So I am Tabitha. You are listening to the sensuous heart on white wellness radio. We will be right back after this song. I saw you, I couldn't believe it 
America, you can do magic way back in 1982. And I am your host, Tabitha. You are listening to The Sensuous Heart on White Wellness Radio. So we are back, and I've got some groovy topics um, for this week. Well, I guess we've already talked about probably some stuff that I guess we all wish didn't exist, right? I guess we wish that people were just normal and this transsexual thing didn't exist, and people were racially aware and the Skeksis weren't, you know, tampering the food supply with, you know, DNA from other races and species and all these, you know, chemicals. But now on to something a bit more appetizing. So I want to talk about chakras. So we've been doing a chakra series on the broadcast. So far, we've done the root, then the sacral, then the solar plexus. And for this week, we're going to talk about the heart chakra, which is known in its Sanskrit name the Anahata, and this is represented by a six-pointed star. And I know many of us, for probably many years of our lives, were totally and completely repelled by that symbol, probably just because we were programmed to be repelled um, by it. Or maybe we had some type of actual um, attraction to it, even though beyond the surface we were repelled by it. Like for me, I kind of always had this attraction to it, and I think I may have known definitely on an esoteric or, you know, an unconscious level what it was, but I had a necklace for many, many years, but I still have, which was a six pointed star. So I always knew that it wasn't really what it was always being, you know, promoted as. And, you know, in, in modern day society, most people believe that that is the star of David or the seal of Solomon. And oftentimes you'll see these, you know, these pro white memes, where they're like, you know, battling the six pointed star. And I'm thinking like, you're just fighting yourself. It's like a brother war, essentially. It's, it's uh, 
But I know that not everyone knows that. But anyway, the Anahata chakra is represented by a six-pointed star. And it's said that it is the um, feminine energy of Shakti and the male energy of Shiva. And those two together create that overlap that when two triangles become this six-pointed star. So it's actually kind of the perfect chakra to be talking about other aspects um, of love and sexuality because we're going to be talking about other things that pertain to the heart chakra. So the fourth chakra at a glance, the element is air. The color is green, sometimes also represented as pink. The name Anahata means unstruck. Location, chest, heart, and the cardiac plexus. The purpose, love and balance. Identity, social. Issues, love, balance, self-love. Relationships, intimacy, anima, animus, devotion, reaching out and taking in. Orientation, self-acceptance, acceptance of others. Demon, grief. Developmental stage, four to seven years. Developmental task, forming peer and family relationships, developing persona. So this is the chakra where I was talking last week. We have me to we. Me is the lower chakra, lower triangle. We is the upper triangle. And the anahata is like the bifrost bridge to the, the we. So the basic rites of the anahata chakra is to love and to be loved. Balanced characteristics. So here are some characteristics when the Anahata, the fourth chakra, is in balance. Compassionate, loving, empathetic, self-loving, altruistic, peaceful, balanced, good, quote, immune system or good support system. Traumas and abuses. So what types of things could cause issues in the fourth chakra? Rejection, abandonment, loss shaming, constant criticism, abuses to any other, chakras, especially the lower chakras. So if someone had an abuse to one of the other chakras, this chakra would be hurt as well. It's the heart chakra. It makes sense. Unacknowledged grief, including parents' grief, divorce, death of a loved one, loveless cold environments, conditional love, sexual or physical abuse, and betrayal. And think about probably a moment in your life where everyone's probably experienced this, where Somebody died or you went through a breakup or a pet died and your heart like literally hurt, right? So it, it, when we deal with grief, because that's the demon of the fourth chakra and these traumas and abuses, this is when the chakra gets imbalanced. And of course, a lot of us will deal with these things. It's just, I guess, when it gets stuck into this, this pattern that one can't get out of, that's when it becomes, becomes a problem. So what are signs of a deficient fourth chakra? Antisocial, withdrawn, cold behavior, critical, judgmental, intolerant of self or others, loneliness, isolation, depression, fear of intimacy, fear of relationships, lack of empathy, and narcissism. I think we see a lot of that. That's actually kind of like a celebrated uh, way of being in, in society, right? And a lot of the excesses are actually celebrated in society too. And this is this list, codependency, poor boundaries, demanding, clinging, jealousy, over-sacrificing. It's almost like they show these two ideals, like through the Zao Sludge media, as like 
how a man is supposed to be and how a woman is supposed to be for like a super dysfunctional relationship. So the man, of course, would be the deficient one who's cold, critical of himself and others, isolates himself, depressed, fear of intimacy, has no empathy and narcissistic, right? Typical like asshole, right? And then you have like a typical crazy bitch who's codependent, poor boundaries, demanding, clinging, jealous, over-sacrificing. So we see clearly played out through the Zao Sludge media that they want us to have a very dysfunctional uh, heart chakra, obviously, right? And very, very interesting that they're doing this because of course they're perverting that Anahata six-pointed star for their, you know, they're utilizing it. Physical malfunctions when the fourth chakra is not balanced. Disorders of the heart, lungs, thymus, breasts, arms, shortness of breath, sunken chest, circulation problems, asthma, immune system deficiency, tension between shoulder blades, pain in chest, healing practices, breathing exercising, breathing exercises, pranayama, work with the arms, reaching out, taking in, journaling, self-discovery, psychotherapy, examine assumptions about relationships, emotional release of grief, forgiveness when appropriate, inner child work, codependency work, self-acceptance, anima, animus, integration. So yeah, a lot of things that people can, can do for their heart chakra. And here are some affirmations. I am worthy of love. I am loving to myself and others. There is an infinite supply of love. I live in balance with others. So this chakra kind of has like a different energy than the other ones. It kind of takes on that kind of in-between energy of, of the lower triangle and the upper triangle because, of course, it is, you know, the Bifrost Bridge Chakra. So there is a little bit about the fourth chakra and how we can, how we can balance it. There's also, you can always, like, uh, you know, look online and see fourth chakra, like, you know, like uh, healing exercises or even some of those binaural beats if they're not, like, the creepy ones to kind of, you know, do something to facilitate the healing of this chakra. But I would say just... I guess in my experience with this, just living a good life um, and focusing on the things that you want to do and learning to say no, I think is a good exercise for anyone's heart chakra and realizing that at the end of the day, like, you know, it's everyone, your life is your own life and you have to do what works for you and not to be a, afraid to do that. Because I think a lot of people oftentimes sacrifice what they want to do for themselves or what is the best decision for themselves and of course that takes boundaries which if you have excess of the heart chakra being you know imbalanced boundaries are not going to to be there so i would say overall just just remembering that that you always have a choice i think we've we've been uh, brain poisoned in the society to believe that we don't have a choice on a lot of things and of course that's a hollow hoax So that was the overview of the Anahata heart chakra. Of course, this is coming from the book, Eastern Body, Western Mind, Psychology in the Chakra System as a Path to Self by Anodea Judith. That's the book I've been utilizing this uh, thus far. And next week we will do the third eye. No, the uh, Vishuddha, the throat chakra. That's right. Chris Wilson is saying, Tabitha, excellent song. Um, you can do magic America. That was my high school era. Oh, cool. I'm glad you like that song. I, um, I didn't know about that song until more recently, even though I always 
liked Horse With No Name. That's the, like, that's the quintessential America song. Everyone knows Horse With No Name, right? But yeah, I like that song. It's got like, it's got a groovy feel to it, right? All right, so a little bit there about the heart chakra. So now I wanted to talk about some other stuff, interesting stuff that kind of all plays, plays into this too. And something they didn't mention in that little thing I just read about the heart chakra. I think we can really, and this is really never mentioned in the mainstream or even the alt media because, hey, hey, why would it? But there are spiritual effects of sacred sexuality, whether it's solo practice or with another human, that can actually heal the heart chakra. And we're always sold this bill of goods that, you know, the whole Zio extreme, the whole kind of what we talked about, I think, last week or two weeks ago, the Madonna whore complex of either, the, you know, sex is only procreative or it's this, you know, this dirty thing you do on impulse, which of course is, it's, it's a hoax, right? So here are some spiritual effects of sex, as opposed to just, you know, reading an article about, you know, 20 best positions. Here are spiritual effects about sex, stuff that we really don't hear about because it seems that everything out there is really more in the realm of just one's kind of genitals as opposed to thinking of it in more of a, of a spiritual way. So let's talk about that in a spiritual way and think about the anahata of the heart chakra, you know, whilst I talk about this. Sex is one of the most profound magical acts. Okay, maybe you've never heard something like that said. Maybe you were told growing up it was dirty. Maybe you were told nothing about it. Um, who knows, right? Everyone's told different things. Um, and of course, that that relates to how they relate with that. And it's a, it's a whole thing like anything else, right? And now we have the problem of, you know, of course, sex is something that's a gift to be able to have in your life. But now they're doing um, youngsters a terrible disservice by telling them these things at, I think, too young of an age, but also perverting them with information that no one, whether they were six years old or 60 years old, would ever need to know this information because it's uh, it's it's not really valid for any type of like, you know, healing activity. It, it would be like giving someone a cookbook of like the most disgusting recipes using food that contain like MSG and natural flavors. That's the type of sexual education they're giving to people. It's, it's useless dog shit, right? So sex is one of the most profound magical acts, a multidimensional spell cast capable of bringing spirits through dimensions and new souls into bodies. Think about that, right? It's really a shame that we don't learn more about the spiritual, energetic, and metaphysical side of sex, as well as the effects it can have on our bodies. And I don't just mean physical bodies. For those on a spiritual path, and especially sexual shamans, healers, priests, priestesses, and tantricas, it's important to understand how sex affects the energy bodies and upper dimensional spiritual bodies, soul, celestial bodies, and beyond. So here are a couple of things about sex, the intersection between sex and metaphysical phenomena and how it can impact your health and physical body. And what are we always told in the Zio Sludge Media? Don't do that. You'll get an STD. You'll get AIDS, right? You'll get pregnant when you don't want to. We're always, to we're never told about how sex can attract spirits. This should be fairly intuitive. Sex is designed to bring a spirit into the body. It goes without saying then that many spirits are attracted to sex and not always for the purpose of incarnation. So it's saying here that spirits can actually um, flock to sexual acts because they are doorways to physical expression and the material world. And I've heard people actually say they've had experiences with this. I can't say that I have myself, but 
These spirits can be souls of the deceased or ancestors, maybe looking for incarnation, a hungry ghost, possibly trapped, a demon, kind of like a low world entity, maybe like the Skeksis, uh, a nature spirit, like plants, trees, and flower spirits. Uh, they are part of an offering of nourishment in honor of fertility in ages past. Deities and celestials, beings of higher worlds, honored and fed through the sacred sex practice as well. Things of that nature. And like I said, I don't really have any experience with that. But nevertheless, it's, it's something to think about that whenever you exchange your energy with someone, let's put it into more um, kind of layman's terms. Whenever you exchange your energy with somebody else, if that person has their own like skeletons in their closet or, or demons or whatever, like their own layers of stuff that they haven't dealt with, you may be taking on some of those spirits, right? So that's something to consider. Spiritual health and safety tips. So here, like I was just saying, choose partners or partner who is spiritually healthy and strong and can remain present during the lovemaking. Otherwise, you might be having sex with an entity, not your partner. So yeah, someone who's spiritually healthy and strong obviously would make the most eugenic choice. Have sex in a place that feels good for you, even better if you cleanse or establish a sacred space before you engage. Do not have sex while heavily intoxicated. This is a surefire way to attract lower spirits and can damage your health. Set focused and clear intention um, before lovemaking so you can um, engage with that with those positive spiritual energies. So maybe things don't people don't actually think about, um, you know, in the milieu of, of lovemaking, but, you know, just something good to know. Sex brings about number two, sex brings about an energetic, karmic, fluid and spiritual exchange with your partner. Well, definitely. Yeah. It's a sophisticated ritual that at its core is an art of union. Biologically speaking, the purpose of sex is to allow the, for DNA fusing and the development of a new body offspring to continue the species. However, there is a great deal of energetic, karmic, fluid, and spiritual energy exchange that takes place as part of that process. The first and most obvious level of this exchange moves with the fluid body, which is known as Afu, to the ancient Egyptians. This is the life force which comprises all fluids in our physical form. This also includes the microbiome. So yeah, of course, you're exchanging uh, your biome with someone who you have, um, who you're having sex with, right? During intercourse, this afu, this fluid body spirit is shared between the two partners. And you also absorb the life force energy and DNA of your partner. That's why they say in, in a Taoist, um, the Taoist sexual arts that if you're tired, if your partner is tired and you want to have sex, if you have sex with your and your partner's like, oh, okay, we can do it, you'll actually get tired after because you absorbed your partner's tired energy who just had sex because you wanted to, right? Plus, it's really just not like good to do it with someone who's not in the mood, right? But yeah, so you would you basically absorb that tired energy. Life force is the vital physical energy contained within the Afu. In the Taoist traditions, it's known as Jing, essence, and it's transmitted through the sexual fluids. So Jing is not always exchanged evenly between partners in sexual intercourse, depending on the physical health of each partner, psychological factors, and whether orgasm or ejaculation occurs or doesn't. It's very possible for one partner to be energized by sex and the other partner to be drained or vice versa. And some people actually are sexual vampires and they actually look to have sex with people just to um, steal their, their life force, to steal their jing, right? 
Additionally, we have the phenomena of DNA exchange that takes place during sex. DNA is a fascinating subject in and of itself. We might think DNA is both ancestral and karmic. So through our partner's fluids, we actually absorb gifts, intelligence, and what the Vedics call Siddhi, or superpowers, of his or her ancestry. And of course, we could also absorb the negative karmas and ancestral burdens as well, like kind of the generational demons, right? So this kind of makes me think of um, telegeny, right? And the idea that when we have, when a woman has a child, if she has any of, you know, the... Um, the fluids of ex-partners that obviously wouldn't currently be in there, but like have absorbed in like a DNA way, right? Because we're talking about the absorption of fluids that that child can sometimes have features of, of past lovers. And if the woman has had a romance with a, a non-white, like out of the race, it can be more obvious. I think it's actually even been cases where the child would maybe have like a slight Negro feature and the father of the child was not a Negro, but this kind of came through, through this telegeny thing. It's something that really is not, it's thought of as, obviously, you guessed it, racist, right? I think the Catholic Church still acknowledges it, and it's something that's still used with dog breeders. But maybe I'll do a show on this at some point and expand more on it. But I figured it was worth mentioning because we're talking about the exchange of life force, and we're talking about taking on his or her ancestry, the siddhis or the superpowers, intelligence, the gifts, as well as absorbing the negative karmas and the ancestral burdens. If you wake up dreaming of your partner's grandparents after lovemaking, you've likely begun work on alchemizing their DNA. That's interesting. It's important to learn techniques to refine life force energy given or received during sex, as well as techniques to integrate the DNA codes of our partner. Perhaps we can talk about that another time for a different show. But just a bit there um, about the energetic, karmic, fluid, and spiritual exchange of sex. Sex can expand your soul or bind it. So, of course, it's really important to pick someone who's, uh, you know, who's not just good in bed, but who's, you know, not going to bind your soul. There could be all types of, yeah, just like the vampiric type of stuff that goes on. So, yeah, that's pretty much that article there about... Um, a little bit about sex from more of a, of a spiritual way of looking at, at things as opposed to just more of a physical way. But it just it says over here about sex and expand the soul or bind it. The soul is one of our spiritual bodies. That's assuming that people have. I'm not even sure that everyone who's alive has a soul, which may be kind of a, I don't know, not the nicest thing to say. I'm not saying it to be coarse or, or snarly. I'm just saying it kind of uh, with an intuitive feeling. So, So it goes on to say that our soul houses our unique, immortal, divine essence in the wisdom of many lives. So what about people who don't have any wisdom? Are they essentially soulless? I don't know. But basically, sex can be soul expanding. So I guess if you do have a soul, it could actually... They said ancient sacred sexuality practices existed to transform the heightened state of energy achieved through sexual arousal into spiritual consciousness. So I guess you'd need a soul to be able to run the hormonal cocktail of sex through the nervous system. That makes sense. So, well, you know, a lot to expand on here in this topic and just to get the idea of looking at sex in a different way because I feel like with everything in the Zao Sludge Media, they always want to give us this tunnel vision way of looking at it and never seeing it out of this, like, you know, this Talmudic black tube 
of way looking at thing of the way of looking at things. So I think if we can see, look at everything in more of a, I don't know, multi-dimensional, lush, you know, Aryan way, it's going to make so much more sense for us. Let's see, we've got some comments here in the chat. Chris Wilson is saying high school was in the Hague, Netherlands, um, 68 to 73 Western Europe. I live in Southwest Florida now since 03 after 12 years of USA officer and 16 years as defense analyst, 28 years for evil military and federal government. Wow. Interesting history. Okay. So that's, that's all we have going on in the chat. So yeah, a little bit about, um, spirituality and sex and how that works. And now I have something that's very interesting. Um, I found out about this just in the last week or so and kind of stumbled into something that I wasn't expecting to find. And it kind of just goes along the lines of all these words that we've seen completely and totally inverted by the Skeksis. Kant, of course, means goddess. Slut means um, a slovenly person or someone who couldn't cook. Um, what else? There's so many. The word pussy actually means like pouch. So there's been so many words. And of course, they're all female centric. Notice that too. All those words are female centric. They've taken these words and they've totally made them mean something else. And they've developed something else in its place to kind of take that word, right? Like they've developed the idea of this person who acts like a supposed cunt, you know, or this emasculated, you know, weak person who acts like a pussy or, uh, let me see what else, someone who actually acts like this persona of, of a, of a slut, right? So they create these, they create these things based on the inversion. It's like the shadow aspect of the word, right? Cause it's kind of funny that the most offensive word of the English language is considered to be cunt. And that actually means a goddess. And typically that's considered the most misogynistic thing you could call a woman. So it's like a major inversion going on. So I found out about another word the other day, which completely just kind of, I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So the word is prostitute. And of course now what do we associate that word with? We associate the word prostitute with typically a woman, I guess sometimes a man who sells their body for sex um, or sells their, yeah, basically sells it for money, right? They get money in exchange for sex. That's what a prostitute means. So the word prostitute actually used to mean something completely and totally different. It wasn't this negative type of thing where like now it's, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's not the kind of thing that most people go around telling people they are. Maybe if you're on OnlyFans, is that, I guess that's, I guess that's prostitution in a way, even though it's not like you're actually like literally selling your body, but I guess it's like, guess it's, I don't know, tech, tech, techno prostitution. I don't know. I guess you're, you're technically selling your, you're selling the form of your body, but not like literally your body. So I, I guess it kind of is in the modern sense of the word. But anyway, the ancient version of the word prostitute comes from the Greek word prostrate, not prostate, but prostrate, which means to bow before the altar, to bow before the statue. So very, very different than um, what we would have been <laughs> told it is today, right? Very, very different connotation. Originally used to signify a woman or a man who had, been give, who had given his or her life in service to the goddess. The word was at one point synonymous with priestess in the ancient world. 
As an archetype of divine femininity, the sacred prostitute thus correlates to the divine feminine's ability to give herself completely in love, body, mind, soul to the devotion of another. The divine signature of the sacred prostitute within all women and really all humanity is what gives us our devotional, unconditional, and loving nature. So they've taken something which is a very kind of, you know, innately feminine and maternal um, trait, I would say, but also, I guess, in a way it works for the male sex, too, if you're really thinking about that melding of, of lovemaking. I guess it's, it's, it's the man's yin, right? But that's okay. We're always supposed to have the, the both of the balance. This has nothing to do with transsexualism. That's a perversion of the sacred sexes. We know that already. But they take a word like prostitute, which means that someone's, you know, kind of typically garish and, you know, selling their body for money. And it really means devotional, unconditional, loving nature. And typically with prostitution, there's there's no love. It's just money and someone's horny, right? Someone needs money and someone's horny. That's what it is. Templated off of female sexuality specifically, the sacred prostitute shows us how to care for love and nurture another life form within our own bodies. Because this is what a mother does to her for her child and what the great mother does for all of us. It's devotional. So, wow, crazy what we've been told about this. Um, it's just, it, it's almost like it's very difficult to even reclaim a lot of these words because like if you went around calling yourself all these words, you know, people would think, wow, that person's got terrible, um, terrible feelings for themselves, right? Because we've all been so zombified to believing these words. Look, I grew up believing all of them too. I'm not surprised. People just, it's, it's what is, right? So here there was a time when this devotional path was corrupted. And this was not someone who was like screwing everybody either. Um, let me just wanted to make that, you know, comment. So at some point there was a fall of this, of this goddess culture and it was, and the sacred femininity was corrupted. This is around the time that, well, the Abrahamic belief systems, the uh, trio came into existence. The power of the sacred prostitute was severely corrupted in the ancient world. A dark force, quote, possesses the power of the sacred prostitute to this day. They're saying in the West. I would say it's throughout the world because we have this Abrahamic uh, miasma that's all around uh, basically infecting everything down to a cultural level. It's not just a religious thing. So this is what we've been dealing with since then. Back in the day, things were different. And this is, I guess, kind of the beginning of all this um, this terrible stuff that we've seen today when we've, we've gone as far from the fall of the goddess to now not even be able to use the word woman to describe a woman, right? So of course, this was all turned on its head um, by the Skeksis um, religions and the, this, this daemon, essentially this, this, uh, this Skeksis demon that's possessing earth. And what has happened is that it's been totally flipped and inverted. And now uh, women, I guess men as well, are objectified for pornographic stimulation or to sell goods and services in our culture. That's essentially what prostitution means these days, right? And this especially pertains to women that we've been programmed to be nice and accommodating to others, even at the expense of our own health needs and well-being at times. 
We also have a chronic epidemic of sexual abuse, rape, sexual assault that plagues society, especially multiracial societies and especially those societies with misogynistic values. And we have lots of codependency, especially in uh, women. That is a sign of a um, excess or deficient excess uh, of, of the Anahata chakra. We also see in women burnout, PMS, quote, mystery illness that a lot of ladies seem to be suffering from. And the way that the land, animals, ecosystems, and crops are manipulated and abused beyond to produce beyond their natural means, which of course, all of that is kind of like that nurturing, abundant thing. So that would kind of be a assault on the feminine to expand on that. So all of this basically got inverted at a certain point, and these priestesses, these sacred prostitutes, were at one point raped, controlled, and brainwashed, and oppressed, forced to serve um, dark, Talmudic, um, dark Talmudic sorcerers and false gods, which I guess we're still, we're still kind of living in that. And now we kind of have these cults of sexual slavery, or that's what happened after everything was inverted. So where they had women and male prostitutes indoctrinated to practices under the guise of being a, quote, sacred healing service, which was a hollow hoax, which they were eventually allowing their bodies to become karmic dumping grounds for the Zog Empire. So I guess like we were talking earlier in that article about spirit insects, that they basically were dumping their bad energy onto these people, almost like a dumping ground. It reminds me of that time there were people in ancient Europe called the sin eater where they would like eat all this food to like absorb the sins of like the dead and they became these karmic dumping grounds. So it's essentially the same thing with these people who became these uh, sex slaves for the Skeksis. They were using these people's bodies as karmic dumping grounds, which I guess in a way, I think they do that through a lot of the tech prostitution and a lot of the um, pornography. They probably... It's also a karmic dumping ground for them, right? And if you're carrying around, this article is saying, corrupted contracts of this sacred prostitute archetype. Of course, remember, this word does not mean what it means. It takes a lot for our brains to not light up in this like disgusting and recoiled way when we hear these words because they've done a huge number on us. But here's just a little guide to some bullet points of let's say someone was kind of playing out this shadow. So they're supposed to be living in their, their idea of what the word actually means to prostrate, to bow before the altar, to bow before the statue, they're supposed to be living in this way where their expression is devotional, unconditional and loving. Of course, we know that's not a reality for most people. Probably everyone has a heart chakra block going on, I would say. So if you're not living in those three things I just mentioned, here are some ideas that I guess you've been kind of soiled by uh, Skeksis programming. No other way to put it. Always attracting men and romantic partners you need to, quote, heal. Having very poor boundaries and suffering from severe codependency. You can see this all like Anahata stuff, right? All heart chakra stuff. Attracting narcissistic abuse or addicts as romantic partners. Being only able to make money through sex work or tantric healing work. Encountering difficulties anytime you try to expand into other models of business income opportunities. Struggling to attract or keep a long-term partner. Problems conceiving children or resistance to family life. And always running karma on the behalf of Zog through your own body and getting stuck with many mystery illnesses as a result. So kind of an interesting way of looking at... Um, 
sacred sexuality and kind of the shadow of it and kind of absorbing that Skeksis energy and going back to the article about spirit, right? I mean, there really, there really is something said for keeping our consciousness and our bodies kind of spiritually clean, especially as we move forward and things get so, so, so zoggy, right? I mean, things are getting zoggier all the time. I mean, it's, it's hard to even keep track of, of how zoggy things are because it's just, it keeps on coming, right? So yeah, oh, we got someone putting a bunch of little, what emoji that is, it looks like a, an explosion or something like that. That's pretty cool. So yeah, kind of an interesting topic, um, this whole idea of the word prostitute being defiled, you know, and inverted. We um, can't be surprised. When I first heard about this, I was like, the sacred prostitute, I'm like, what the hell is that? I'm like, how could they use the word sacred in front of that? Like, it doesn't really make sense. But now I understand that the word has been um, totally inverted. This article is even saying that the sacred prostitute archetype is related to ancient goddesses of love like Aphrodite and Ishtar and Isis. So it's got nothing to do with selling your body for money. That's a, that's a Zog idea. Look, the whole idea of selling sex, probably one of the most sacred things for money, I mean, it, that's got Skeksis fingerprints all over it, right? The practice of sacred prostitution is divine, defined as a sexual rite performed in the context of religious worship, perhaps as form of fertility rite or divine marriage. So again, it's not about hanging out in the street corner, you know, looking to make money. It's nothing, it's nothing like that. So this practice of sacred prostitution or divine marriage has been all over the world in Egypt and Babylon, Lebanon, Rome, um, Europe, Middle East. Um, and um, it's saying took place, it's, it's saying it also took place in the Judeo-Christian traditions. It sounds to me like from what I can tell, they were phasing it out or maybe they were using it for, um, you know, whatever they could use it for. So the great goddesses were worshipped in temples and sexuality was revered in a way which seemed impossible in today's society. Yeah, I mean, they've really done such a number on on people. I always think about the idea of when you go to like a society, like when they're living in like the Amazon and no one's ever worn a bra and then like they don't have any sexualization of breasts. But here, if tomorrow was like national no bra day and everyone just went out with like no bra on or no top on, like it would be absolute pandemonium right so i mean we they've really done a number on us that's probably why we couldn't imagine what this would be like in you know today's society with the idea of goddesses being worshipped sacred prostitutes acted as priestesses of the temples and made their bodies available to strangers as a way of sharing the quote blessing of the goddess with worshipers that's rather intense uh we would call that something completely and totally different today and I'm wondering, too, I was thinking about this. I wonder if um, telegeny is really just something that is more of an issue when it's um, non, you know, when it's the, when it's a different race, when it's a non-congruent race, you know, race. Is that when it really becomes a problem or is it just a problem in general? I'm thinking it's probably more problematic if it's racially incongruent. So. And interestingly, they're saying that these goddesses who gave these, um, who shared their blessings, these quote blessings with strangers, rather than being considered defiled, these women were considered pure and holy. So in this context, we would consider the person to be 
um, defiled and a waste or, you know, very, very, very different. It is only when the Zaosludge Talmudic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Pislam came into dominance that sexuality and, um, and sacred divine marriage came to be frowned upon and its practitioners shunned. Yeah, they've done a lot. Um, and I also think about something too, I'm not really like a pro polyamorist person, but I did see that the church outlawed that like around the year like 1000. So that could have been another reason why people had more families back in the day. So they're, you know, they're outlawing these, these sexual practices, outlawing, you know, polygamy. And now we have all these agendas these days um, to get people to, you know, I mean, imagine like, it's just so hard to believe that there could be an agenda out there to get people to like, cut their genitals off. Like I just, I just can't, I still, I still can't get over how crazy that is. I just, I find it just absolutely mind zoggling. So yeah, interesting. Um, interesting to see how different things are and how sex was approached in a very different way. Of course, you know, we have, we grow up in a society now where, you know, most of us never knew what it was like not to have a computer, not to see pornographic media. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, growing up in the ancient world, it must've been completely and, and totally different than what we have nowadays. Right. So I've got something else I wanted to talk about. That's pretty interesting. Victory is saying, I'm new here. Um, well, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for joining the broadcast. 6-4 Aaron is saying, being around true feminine sexual energy makes me feel like I will keep, a, keep me alive forever. Yeah, there's something to be said. That's a magical energy right there, especially since the female energy is this like intuitive energy. Like I really do think that women kind of have this like sense that, you know, men don't have men of other things, of course, right? But there's just something I think especially like white women who are like tuned in like that, that's very powerful. Very, very powerful. I mean, it is for men as well, too. But I think that there's a certain, you know, there's like this witchy thing that that women have who are tuned in, right? That's why they have to do all these things to kind of decimate us and, you know, shoot us down. And you know, they've got agendas for both sexes. It's, it's been going on for a long time, right? But they have particular ones. They have particular poison blow darts they throw at each sex, right? And of course, they like to create that division between us, too, which is a bunch of a bunch of shit. So I've got something else I wanted to talk about. So we've talked about a lot of interesting stuff today, all about that crazy stuff with the trannies and anthropology and archaeology, MSG, the Ganahata Chakra, some uh, sacred sexual secrets, sacred sexual secrets to do with uh, protecting your spirit. We've talked about the real um, definition of the word prostitute. And now I want to talk about some ways to be more masculine or to basically highlight three masculine traits because it's good for men to be masculine women love the masculine energy of men just like how men love the feminine energy of women women love the masculine energy of men so what are some important traits to be more masculine or what are some typical masculine traits and of course you know women can have these traits too but these are typically i would say traits and I, I read this obviously before I'm going to orient it to you guys, but these are traits that I would say are very kind of masculine, left brain, logical that a provider and a protector would have. So number one, decisiveness. Men who have the power to reach quick and definite decisions seldom find themselves in positions of weakness or submission. 
think about it, the majority of people have trouble making decisions and fall into the habit of indecision, also known as procrastination. Procrastination, procrastinators are never in position of power and authority, and power is the very thing which makes a man appear masculine. The longer you put something off, the more room you leave for more decision, um, more for more decisions and dominant. With the longer you put something off, the more room you leave for more decisive and dominant male to take charge, and they will. Since most people have a hard time making decisions, they will choose to follow the man who is firm and quick in his decision making. Just think about all the great leaders of history, the level of attraction many of them were able to achieve with women. All of them were, in fir were firm decision makers and inspired people to follow them because of it. If you want to become more masculine, firmness of decision is the best place to start. So number one, decisiveness. Number two, self-reliance. Do you depend on other people to take care of things you should be responsible for? Do you sometimes default the choices of where to go and what to do um, to your woman? If so, you can bet that you aren't communicating your masculine dominance. And if you aren't doing that, you're never going to meet a woman's need for safety. Translation, she'll never be 100% satisfied in the relationship and you'll leave the door open for her to stray. After you get done with this email, sit down and make a list of the areas in your life where you're handling responsibility over to someone else. Then take control and start building self-reliance. This might include putting your foot down when it comes to being dominated by women in spite of what you might think. This is actually what ladies want. They only attempt to dominate a man to test his masculinity and find out if he's man enough to be her leader and defender. So that was number two. That was self-reliance. And of course, it is nice to rely on sometimes people to do certain things. Like I know with myself, like, I'm happy to make meals if like um, my car gets scraped off with snow, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, I think it's okay off also to have those types of things where like you just know um, that like, you know, you're going to do this and someone else is going to do something else and that's all good. Masculine trait number three, honesty in actions. There's so much talk these days about telling the truth with words, but not nearly enough talk about telling the truth in your actions. What does this mean? It means backing your words up with actions. When you say you're going to do something, do it, or else don't make the commitment. When you commit to be somewhere or to call somewhere, follow through. If you say you want to get in shape, start taking control of your financial life or your career, do it. In fact, whenever possible, it's better to keep your mouth shut and to tell the truth only in actions. Believe me, people will notice, especially women. Men who tell the truth in their actions communicate a powerful confidence and masculinity which is irresistible to women. This is the stuff that leaders are made of, and you can bet that women go crazy over men who are natural leaders of others. And yeah, those are some traits, I would say, of, of masculinity. Definitely, that kind of like being like, I guess just reliable, right? Just kind of how the men are kind of like, like that, and they're just, they're reliable, they can be... Um, you know, they can respond quickly, things like that. I think being reliable is really the three things that I notice when reading these traits. So again, decisiveness, self-reliance, and honesty in actions. So not only will these traits, I guess, make you feel more masculine, they could also possibly uh, attract a lady, right? And that's, that's good stuff, right? So Epiphany is saying, 
that as a woman, I don't want help in the kitchen or with laundry. I'd prefer the man does the yard work. Yeah, me too. Totally. I'm not doing the yard work. Just like I don't want to put the, take the snow off my car. Like I'll be in the kitchen making something delicious. So, you know, that's, that's just how it works. So yeah, yard work doesn't interest me at all. Like, you know, mowing the lawn or like picking weeds and stuff. Like, yeah, that's not, that's not what I do. But yeah, just a little bit there about masculinity. It's an important topic, um, especially when there's so many agendas out there to make, make men less masculine. And I'd say make women less feminine. That's part of their, that's part of their thing, unfortunately. And it seems to be working. It doesn't necessarily have to be, um, continue to be working. So yeah, a little, a little bit there that I put um, together. And let me see if there's anything else that I have that I want to share for this show. Hmm. I'm just checking some stuff on the Talmudgram account. Let's see the main the main Talmudgram account. That's right. There's a couple. Oh, here we go. Yeah, most of the stuff I've seen lately, eh, I've kind of been avoiding the stuff that's really dark and some of the tranny stuff, you know, that I find just kind of to relate to, I guess, like the, the racial stuff. So that stuff I do look at because I can see that that's kind of like an extension of the racial war is the, the tranny thing. So that I do look at. Um, but I really haven't been listening to a lot of podcasts either. I've kind of been enjoying like this, uh, this mental cleanliness that comes along with not taking in too much information and just kind of feeling like, how do I process all this information, right? Which, of course, that takes time to do. You know, whether you're putting together a show or just kind of processing it in your mind, it takes it takes time to do that. I really been listening to, to music more, if anything, which feels pretty good because sometimes I just don't want to take on, in a way, like we were talking earlier about sex and taking on that person's energy. I mean, in a way, if you're listening to a podcast and maybe the person's, like, just their nervous system's all like fried and just like weird and maybe the information is good or I don't know maybe you're just listening to it because you don't even know why you're listening to it and it just it doesn't really feel good to hear it right some things people are talking about I just don't want to don't want to hear about <laughs> so yeah let's see if there's anything else worth worth sharing hmm talked about so many things. I'm trying to just see if there's anything that's groovy. Hmm. Seems to be about about it. Let's see if we if you have any questions, if anyone wants to ask a question, if you're live in the chat right now and you have something that you want to ask, you could always feel free to ask something. Let's take a gander. 6-4 Aaron is saying, all those things come naturally to me. And LOL, the tranny war should be a TV show. <laughs> Maybe that would be more appetizing, not appetizing, interesting if it was. Um, I just still can't believe it's like a thing. Like anyone would want to do that. I mean, especially women. Like, oh, it just, it's so brutal. Like just the whole thing is just such a brutal thing to do to your body. It just I just, I don't know. I just, I can't, I can't relate oftentimes to a lot of the things that people are doing these days. And I, I don't think it's like an age thing or anything like that. I just think it's like, I feel like I'm from a, a different, a different world altogether in a lot of ways. Maybe you feel like that too, listening, 
Actually, here's something I saw that was really crazy. There's this new, speaking of mindsying stuff, there's this new, I think it's kind of like a Gen Z, you know, Generation Zog or Generation Zyklon trend that's going on where these, uh, these Gen Z, not just Gen Z, but a lot of Gen Zs that are in the UK are going over to Turkey to get what they think is veneers because a lot of these people who are like very subsumed in the anti-social media like the shit talk and the instagroid they want to look like aliens or just like you know just they want to look as unnatural as possible and have these like super white unnatural looking like humongous teeth it's it's so bizarre so they're going there these the kids who are like you know late teens early 20s are going to turkey to get a full mouth of caps and they actually think they're getting veneers which is when they just shave it's still not good they shave down the bottom of the teeth right and they put a thin porcelain veneer on top of the teeth and of course this doesn't last forever and you're damaging healthy teeth it's a really fucked up thing um and of course you know it's if someone has a different need for it that would be totally different but i'm talking about like young people who have you know who have normal healthy teeth so all these young people are posting these pictures of like their teeth being filed down to pegs, which is what happens when someone gets a crown because a crown fits over the existing tooth, right? Typically it's done when someone's tooth is in a, a space where or it's not really going to respond to being filled anymore and they don't want to get an extraction. So they get a crown in lieu of getting an implant. So now these youngsters who have, you know, perfectly healthy teeth are going down to Turkey and getting like budget, um, budget teeth essentially and getting like caps on their teeth I mean, they're probably eventually as horrible as it is probably going to end up getting dentures or something because how long can you do that before you just file everything away right and how healthy can those teeth actually stay when they're totally you know uh you know in, encapsulated with like a prosthesis that's over it it's just um speaking of mind seeing mind seeing enough that people are you know, cutting off their genitals and can't discern a female pelvis from a male pelvis. I mean, what a gross trend. The things that a lot of these youngsters are willing to do to their bodies to, I guess, stay relevant online is crazy. You almost have this thing happening with a lot of young girls, especially, where they become like hyper feminized and they get these super white teeth. They wear these long blonde hair extensions. They get um, they get implants, they get like liposuction or cool sculpting, they get like a booty implant or booty, booty implants, then they get like all the facial surgery, injectables, maybe even other stuff, and they look like this hyper-feminized, almost transsexual, like drag queen, like male to female transsexual. Or they go the opposite way where they totally reject uh, being a woman, being a female, and they become like a tranny and they cut their breasts off. They cut their uterus out. They take testosterone. They grow a mustache, chest hair. They get a short haircut. Maybe they try to get like um, a phalloplasty and think they can have a penis. Like it's such a crazy thing that they're both, they're both in this thing where they're trying to destroy their body and just one, one's doing it in one way. But they, they both end up like it's in a certain way like I, I think i've heard a lot of men say they don't find these hyper feminized like super fake looking women the least bit attractive they oftentimes end up looking like black women who want to look white who look like drag queens 
it's the craziest look. It's never something I would try to emulate personally. It's just, it's a, it's a, a mind zoggler. The things that people are doing to their bodies, whether they be transsexuals or not. Um, and I think all this softening of the plastic surgery over the last maybe 20 years, you know, back in the day, if someone had a nose job or something, nobody spoke of it. Like it was like no one, especially if it was a man, like no one spoke of it. Now people are posting this all over anti-social media. It's no, it's no big deal. They're, they're proud. They could actually like afford it. It's crazy. So we have this body mutilation thing has been going on for a long time with the, with the plastic surgery. And now we have, you know, all this transsexual stuff, which is a, you know, in, I guess, an extension of that. And of course, you know, if someone has a congenital thing or something and they get, uh, you know, a plastic surgeon to fix it, like, you know, a cleft palate, or if someone has, you know, Poland syndrome where one breast grew and the other one didn't, I see that very differently than like these people who just like think their body is like, they just can get these disposable parts like every couple of years. It's just, it's a really transhumanistic way of looking at the body. And you'd have to be really, I guess, divorced from, your race, your sex, your sexuality, just your ancestry as a whole, everything to want to, to want to mutilate yourself on this, on this level. It's just, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to believe. I guess I've always taken more of a natural approach to things. Like even if I want long nails or hair, I'm just going to grow it. Like I'm not going to buy someone else's hair. It's just crazy to me. Or, you know, it's just ugh. mind zoggling, right? Chris Wilson is saying Tabitha in ancient times, 2000 plus years ago and beyond every King warlord, there was a woman truly ruling each. The men had to perform sexually to satisfy them. They didn't perform. They were sacrificed. These women became, uh, the five mother goddesses of darkness, the female Illuminati that ruled the world today. Their host country is Germany. Interesting. I, I'm not too familiar with what you're talking about there. Nicholas is saying, I chipped my front tooth as a teen, so they filed it down and gave me a cap. Is the best solution just to pull it? Um, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, um, so I really couldn't say. I don't, I don't know how long the cap, how old the cap is. I mean, I probably, at some point, you'll probably have to get another cap because those don't last forever. And I guess a more permanent option would be to get an implant but an implant is very much more expensive and the process is pretty long. They first have to make sure that your jawbone can accept it. They have to put a screw inside the jawbone. The jawbone has to accept the screw. Then they'll give you a temporary and then they'll make the actual uh, tooth. I used to work in a dental lab like um, many, many times ago, many years ago. So I, I learned a lot about all this type of stuff. Um, but I guess it would depend how old it is because eventually, usually they will tell people like it's not forever, like an implant, a dental implant is supposed to be forever. That's why they're, they're, they're more money. And I think they're about maybe five grand per tooth, at least like here in New York, that's kind of like the, the rate. Um, so they are going to be more expensive. And I definitely, if you did decide to get one of those down the line, I definitely would, um, would try to see the best person, the best, you know, the best person to do that. Cause that's definitely specialty work. Yeah. Epiphany is saying, how could they afford it? That's right. They live with their parents. I think these people, either they live with their parents, they're paying like a very, very budget rate. Still it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of money. It's just less than it would cost if you were going to a dentist, probably, you know, in, in Europe or America. Um, I think these people probably make money online 
uh, doing OnlyFans. A lot of people are making money doing OnlyFans. Either they're doing it alone and they're just showing themselves off or they're masturbating or some people are actually having intercourse with like a spouse or whomever and making money on, on, on OnlyFans. So I think a lot of people are, are making money that way. So yeah, crazy. Oh yeah, you're welcome, Nicholas, for sure. Epiphany is saying, I used to deliver for a dental lab, learned a lot. Yeah, I learned a lot too. It was interesting. I, um, I worked in the place, I did like all the, I was the front of the house area in the place where they were actually making all the prosthesis. So I got to see all the prosthesis going out, all the implants, the crowns, the dentures, etc. So it was, um, yeah, it was very interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's hard work making those things too. I think that's why they're so expensive. Plus the dentist always gets, um, dentists make a lot of money doing that, you know? So yeah, that's uh, just thinking about all these trends that all these youngsters are doing, these crazy, crazy trends. And I think it's just more of people not really, I don't know, feeling comfortable being themselves. Maybe that's what it is. I don't even know, right? Chris Wilson is saying, I studied ancient history for 30 plus years. I've written, edited, and transcribed um, 8,000 essays and share on the international podcast brief on Netherlands, Canada, Australia, Scotland, South Africa, plus our beyond one's belief. I have many interesting essays that correlate with your subject matter chakras, third and fourth D realms, etc. When you were talking about the five mother goddesses of darkness, Chris, were you talking about the Vril Society? Is that what you were talking about? That's the only thing I could think about that you were talking about. I'm not totally sure, but um, that's always an interesting topic, talking about the ladies of the Vril for Society and their... They're beautiful, long hair, right? So let's see if there's anything else. There's just so much stuff going on. I don't really keep total track of. I just I just see stuff. Oh, yeah, now they're saying that the who, the Wakibu oligarchs is saying that. Uh, what were they saying again? Oh, yeah, monkey pox is considered, you know, chimp pox, this thing that doesn't exist, just like Oyedei. They're saying that five people have supposedly died from the quote virus. So now it's a public health emergency or something like that. Who knows what nasty thing they have up their sleeve for, for fall, right? I don't even know. Yeah. Had to live with Oyed AI when you were tired of living with Oyed AI. <laughs> That's a story from the New York Times for today. <laughs> Ready or not, glass holes are coming back. Hands-free camera called glass holes. That's a promising name. Gross. Really gross. <laughs> yeah, this news is just, it's just crap. Oh, there was actually one more thing I did want to discuss that I found. This is actually, come to think of it, I'm glad I remembered this. This is a mind zoggler. I had this in my saved file. That's why I wasn't finding it in my my main page, but this was mine seeing. Well, I guess it goes, it goes with everything else that's going on in the world now. This is kind of in the same vein of the neural link, but well, I guess kind of, kind of a little different, but kind of a little the same. Ellie is saying, hi, hello. Thanks for joining us. So this is crazy. So Elon Musk or Lone Scum, as I know him, Neuralink brain computer startup uh, is beat again. This time a competitor 
implanted its device into the first U.S. patient. So this brand, which is a competitor of Neuralink, Synchron, it's a brain-computer startup, and an arrival of Neuralink is beginning its FIDA approval. FIDA approved human trial in the U.S. following a human trial in Australia. So they are making people already into kind of cyborgs with these computers in their brain. I wonder if this Elon Musk is a cyborg, maybe a tranny, maybe both. I don't even know. I guess if you're already a cyborg, you really can't be a tranny because a cyborg can be whatever it wants to be, right? I guess tranny is like the liminal space between human and cyborg. But So here's this story. Elon Musk's Neuralink brain computing startup has yet to receive approval from the FIDA to implant its tech into humans. However, its competitor, Synchron, has implanted the first device into the brain of a U.S. patient, in this case, one with ALS, a neurodegenerative disease, that's what they call Lou Gehrig's disease, has affected the patient's ability to move and speak. The hope is that the patient will be able to browse the web and communicate through email and text by just thinking. Yowza. The device would translate the patient's thoughts into actions through commands set to a computer. Synchron has already implanted its device into four patients in Australia. These patients are reported to have no side effects, and the device, the device has allowed them to send messages through WhatsApp and to make online purchases. Synchron has received FIDA approval back in July of 2021 to begin a human trial of its Stentro device to insert into the brain of six patients. So this thing is inserted into the brain without cutting through the patient's skull or damaging their tissue. The doctor makes the incision in the patient's neck. From there, the stentrode, with the help of a catheter, is placed in the blood vessel within the motor cortex. And this area is involved in planning, control, and execution of voluntary movements. So once they implant this, they put a second computing device into the person's chest. The stentrode in the neck reads the signal produced by the neurons firing in the brain and sends the signal to the computing device in the chest, which then sends it to a computer or phone via Bluetooth. Wow, pretty crazy. I get the feeling that this is probably going to be just kind of maybe just something you overhear on the line at CVS in a couple of years, right? It goes on to say, Neuralink is working to develop a surgical robot to implant its small disc-shaped device into a patient's brain. The device would then process and filter signals on the embedded computer chips. They're saying that this has been in development since 1992 by researchers at the University of Utah. It's probably been longer than that. Until last year, it was the only FIDA-approved BCI or brain-computer interface. It has significant results, the synchron thing, allowing paraplegics to control robot arms. But the array is based in 1990s tech. It can only cover a fraction of the brain's 86 billion neurons. So for some reason, they've had this for a while, so they say, and they've been saving it. Um, Neuralink has been yet to be tested on uh, humans, and that was founded in 2016. I wonder how much sometimes any of this is true. You know, I wonder that too when I'm thinking about reading things like this. But I think that they really, I mean, the whole idea, I think, with the propaganda, one of the, one of the things is to hijack the brain. So if they can implant something like this, 
they could further hijack the brain. I mean, who knows? In, in the future, like maybe in 50, 100 years, I don't know. There may be people who say, yeah, we implant these things when people are born. Like we do this after the circumcision. At that point, they'll be circumcising both boys and girls, right? Because they'll be, this is a horror show to even think about this, right? Because a, a lot of the world, you know, is coming over to white Western civilization who believes in that shit, the female circumcision. But crazy let's just think about it in like a dualistic way of worlds like there's one world that's good and one world that's a sludge that hopefully will just i don't know vaporize at one point but i could i could see this becoming maybe something that they would want to promote to that you do upon birth i don't know i guess i'm thinking in a very dystopic way right now um but wow this is this is a mind's ear but I guess they're going to say that it's it's helping some people who have some really degenerative diseases. But the thing with, you know, this tech and this allopathy that always, always bothers me is that they're never really looking for why people have these issues in the first place. Of course, you know, if someone's a paraplegic, they probably got into an accident. But wouldn't it be better to work on technology to restore their ability to walk than this thing that would just really work with... Um, basically making someone into like a cyborg and making them dependent on technology. That's just my thoughts on it, right? Chris Wilson is saying, no, Jesse Sisbader was trained in Germany, the next godmother of darkness, age four to 11, then was able to escape the U.S. Gloria Vanderbilt is one of the current uh, godmothers of darkness. She is a mother of news anchor Anderson Cooper. Okay. So yeah, that's a crazy story with that, the synchron thing, which is like a Neuralink. Who knows? It's quite possible that this Elon Musk entity like literally owns both these companies, right? And they're just saying this, or this is, maybe he already has this technology himself. Something looks exceedingly off about this person. Um, something looks off about all of these people who are in, I guess, the Zio Sludge realm. They all look off. Um, they're all compromised, too. Of course, I wouldn't take anything any of these people say seriously. It's a joke that some dissident or nationalist or pro-white people think like Elon Musk is the best thing since sliced bread. It's kind of, it's ridiculous, you know? There's a lot of people who are brainwashed in that, in that milieu, unfortunately. Oh, well. So I think that's all I have for this week's broadcast. Uh, if anyone has any any um, questions they want to ask, this would be the time to do it. Um, but I think I'm I'm out of stories for the for the time being. Yeah, I think we've gone through everything. Went through a lot of stuff today, and of course next week we'll be talking about the Vishuddha chakra, which is the throat chakra. So we'll talk about that next week. And, you know, other stuff that comes up as I, as I see it fit to be talking about. And remember, if you're a member on the Patreon, there will be a list posted later today of all the other names, all the crypto names that MSG goes by. So definitely a handy thing to have when you're out and about shopping. And for anyone who's interested, the monthly pledge on Patreon for a month is $5. So it's totally affordable. There's also a $10 one for monthly email support. And there's another offering if you want a meal plan done. And of course, there's always the wellness counseling too. Chris Wilson is saying, 
Jessie says Bader has her own website. Check it out and learn. The Illuminati is tens of thousands of years old. It, it goes verns of the world and dictates world assassins, gray, black, and white popes. Okay, I'll make a note of that, that name and possibly check it out. Thank you. So yeah, all that good stuff. I uh, hope you enjoyed this week's uh, broadcast, The Sensuous Heart on White Wellness Radio. Oh, and thank you, Nicholas. I'm, in gl I'm glad you enjoyed the show. And uh, yeah, thank you for everyone who's listening to the show uh, live. And thank you, of course, everyone listening in the archives. Be sure to catch all the broadcasts here on White Wellness Radio. Of course, you can follow me on Telegram. And I'm wishing everyone a groovy week. Uh, I think we'll be closing out the year pretty soon, right? July? We're almost, wow, summer really went by now, didn't it? So yeah, have a great week, like Epiphany is saying. And uh, we'll be connecting again soon on the next broadcast. Okay, everybody, sign on.